Thanks so much for joining us this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. Um, but we're so glad that you're, you've joined us here uh, this morning at Outward Church. Uh, thanks for being a part of it. Um, I know that this is, uh, this is awkward. It feels like we're uh, you know, just disconnected from one another and so forth. But there's a lot of ways that you could get connected with, with Outward Church um, and in various, various avenues, as Ryan said at the beginning of the service. Um, if you make any kind of a decision today or you want to get connected with Outward Church, you can go to outwardchurch.com forward slash connect. Um, you can go to outwardchurch.com forward slash prayer uh, if you would like to uh, get prayer for anything. Um, if you need help um, with something or, or whatever it is, if you know someone who's sick, we'd love to hear from you so we can be praying for you, serve you in some capacity. But we hope that you're doing well this morning and, um, and that you're ready to, to walk through the word with me. Uh, if you would, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 16 actually, which says this, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so that's where we left off two weeks ago, the week before Easter. And so we'll continue on from uh, verse 17. And it says this, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass." The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this morning, what I want to talk with you about is this idea that we need to take God seriously. We need to take Him seriously. And I I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of time uh, to be able to process uh, about my relationship with God. I've had a lot of time to really think about my life. It doesn't mean that I haven't been busy. I feel like I have been uh, busier than I've ever been because of the whole thing of having to go to live stream and all that. We have so many more volunteers in place. It feels like we're replanting our church all over again. So I've been busy, but somehow I've had more time to process uh, my relationship with God and how seriously I take that. I want to speak to some of the men here, uh, right here and right now. Uh, Men in your home, are you taking God seriously? Or is 
uh, is the gospel, is religion, is going to church just something that you do? Or do you really take your relationship with God seriously? Do you, do you think about the idea that, that, that you serve this, this God and that you live in reverence to him? And the reason why I, I point that out to the men is this, is that you're leading in your homes. You are men. And some of you are probably sitting on your phone right now. See, I caught you. Uh, you're sitting on your phone. You're not really listening to me because I'm not telling a story or a joke or something like that. But get over it. What I want you to do is I want you to take your relationship with God seriously. I want you to seriously consider what it is that God has called you to do. And it's not just the men, of course. It's uh, the women as well. And, and the children who are, who are uh, watching here. The, this passage is saying, hey, take it seriously. And as a result, I want you to live out the gospel in your life every day. To live out the gospel. This is what we're about here at Outward Church. At Outward Church, we want to make disciples that love Jesus and live outward. And so what, what that means is this, is that because of our relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we then want to live outward. We want to live that out on a daily basis. And so the question is, are we living outward in such a way? And if we are not, then can we really say that we're taking God seriously? That we've actually taken Him seriously. Look at the first verse that I read here, which says this, And since you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now that verse on its face, and even the previous verse, talking about be holy because I'm holy. And you should fear God. Now if you're watching and you're like not a part of the church, or, or maybe you don't understand the Bible very well, or something like that. Like you, This may confirm, that verse on its face in the previous verse, may confirm something that you've, already, that you've already believed, which is, I need to be good in order for God to accept me. Uh, I, and, and the way that Tim Keller says this, he says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Like, if I obey, then God accepts me. Maybe you're in the midst of your life, and maybe you're saying, you know, uh, yeah, I have had more time to think about my, my life, the meaning of life, all of the activities that I've been doing, all the busyness that I've had uh, going on in my life, and whether that even matters, and what is the meaning of life, and all of this stuff. And so maybe you start to begin to think about the idea of uh, that maybe I just need to obey God more. Or maybe you just push back against that, and you say, this idea of, like, i got to be good, and then God will accept me. I'm a good enough person already, and that's... But the, here's the problem with that line of thinking. Is that, first of all, there's some pretty popular cults out there that teach this same idea about God. They teach this idea that, like, if people believed that God accepted them, if people believed that God accepted them without them doing anything, without them being good or, or looking like they're a Christian person or, or generally being a nice person, then people would just be able to go and do whatever they want. And clearly God doesn't want that. And so therefore, it has to be I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the truth is, is, is that the gospel is I am accepted and therefore I obey. So what he starts off here, in fact, we're, we're kind of mid-sentence here with the Apostle Peter, but the Apostle Peter says this, and since, uh, and if you call on him, the, the words there would say, and since. 
So since you have called on him, since God is the one that you have called upon, so we're speaking to Christians here, but this can also be for non-Christians, because if you're going to call on God, then this is what God wants to say to you. So I just want to put that in there. But for us Christians, what we want to see about this is this idea that if we've called on him as this father, like we've called on him as a father who judges impartially, if we've asked God for grace, if we've sincerely looked at our lives and we've said, you know what, I don't measure up to God's perfect standard. I don't really have what it takes to get to God. If we've finally realized where we actually are, if we've been honest with ourselves about where we're at, then one of the things that we might see is this, is that we, we've called on this Father who judges impartially, meaning he has no favoritism towards anybody. He shows no favoritism towards, towards you or towards me. He, he doesn't show favoritism towards the people that are just really godly or people who are very moral. There's very moral people who are not even Christians or not even religious. There's very moral people. But God shows no favoritism towards the people who are moral, towards the people who think that they're moral. Their sins are, are kind of hidden sometimes. God shows no favoritism towards the people that are, that are broken and know it and it's clearly seen. God doesn't show any favoritism towards them. And he judges, like he is the righteous judge. And he judges according to each one's deeds. Now I want you to understand something. What Peter is saying here is he's saying, if you've trusted in this God, if you have called upon him, if you realized that he is, will judge you, that you will be judged and that you currently or, or in your past have, have been in sin. If you understood that, then one of the things that you would see, or, see is that he judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Now there's, there's passages that really talk about this. And that is that in, in the, the final day, in the last judgment, all of us will face judgment, Christian or not. And all of our deeds, good and evil, will be seen for what they are. I think Christians sometimes forget this. I forget this, that my deeds will be seen for what they are. Men and women, do you understand? Do you understand where you are at? That, that this righteous judge that we have called on to save us and we have, we have said, I want to follow you, that he will look at everything that we have done, good or evil, and he will judge us. Now those who have trusted in Jesus Christ are not going to perish because of evil deeds, but they will be laid bare. They will be seen. And the definition of someone who is a believer is somebody who has received the grace of God, who, who has trusted in him, but that out of that flows this reverence, this healthy fear of saying, like, he's my dad. I, I, I want my dad uh, to, to like what I'm doing. I want him to approve of me. That's, that is a good relationship between father and son, or between father and children. That is a good relationship. 
Because the children should want to please their parents. And of course, we see that that doesn't always happen. But I see it in my own kids' faces. That they want me to approve of them and of their choices. And so that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, shouldn't you want the approval of the Father? Shouldn't you want His approval? Look at your life. Look at the way that you've been living. All the busyness has stopped. Everything has, has come to an end to some degree or another. We don't have any baseball games to go to. We don't have ballet. We don't have, uh, you know, parties. We don't have people over. Most of us are not doing that. And you just got time to think about it. Because there's a great temptation here. And the great temptation is this. To live however you want because you've received the grace of God. To just do whatever you want. To do whatever I want just because, ah, he'll forgive me. But don't you see that that is really to just not acknowledge him as your father. That is to not acknowledge him as the one who is your father. And so what Peter says is he says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He says, I want you to conduct yourselves with a, a healthy fear. We're not talking about a fear of, of damnation. We're not talking about a fear of, oh, he's going to send me to hell. Because we don't believe that. Once, once you are saved, you are saved eternally. You can't, you can't break that. You didn't get yourself in, so you can't get yourself out. God is there for you always. But he wants us to conduct ourselves with a healthy fear the way that a father, uh, the way that a child would towards uh, a good father. And so conduct ourselves with a healthy fear because there is a great temptation to live licentiously. And so really what I think the whole point of this section is, that, is this. And that is that we should conduct ourselves with fear, with a healthy fear, throughout the time that we are here on this earth. We're not home yet. We're not where we're finally going to be. But throughout the time that we are not in the place to where we, we're finally going to rest while we're in exile, that we should conduct ourselves with this healthy fear. And it's saying this. I want you to have an intimacy with God that leads you to a place that says, I love him so much that I don't want to hurt him. I love him so much that I don't, I don't want to hurt him. Do you have that in your life? Do you have an intimacy with God that leads you there? I don't even know how I'm going to get through all this scripture because I'm still on this, the, the first verse here. But I just, I just got to ask. Men, there's a lot of us that are just, just kind of getting by. We're not, not really into the word. We're really driven. I think our church kind of attracts people that are that is probably every church, but our, our church especially, just attracts people that are, that know how to get things done, that are self-willed, that don't really live with an intimacy with God as their, as their father. Do you have that intimacy? And if you don't, I think he's got the remedy right here. 
He tells us three things. We're going to try to get through this, this whole thing, believe it or not. He tells us three things that I think are really important. So in verse 18, so the first thing is redemption. The second thing is his revelation. And the third thing is his resurrection. And then he says live out of those three things, basically. So how do we conduct ourselves with fear? How do we take God seriously? How do we take him seriously and live out the gospel? Well, it's by concentrating on the gospel. I mean, I I think if I were to ask many of you here this morning, uh, how do you live out the gospel? In fact, we've asked this question before, and, and we've gotten a lot of different answers. And there's a lot of us that don't even know what that means. What does it even mean to live out the gospel? Because we think that the gospel is just about saving us uh, at the beginning of our Christian life and that it's not the thing that sustains us. But what you'll constantly see in the scriptures is that the gospel isn't just the beginning of your Christian life. It is what sustains your Christian life. It's what drives you towards holiness. It's what drives you to take God seriously and then as a result, live a life of love. That's what the gospel does. And so if you don't have an intimacy with God that leads you to uh, love him and want to obey him, then I would just say this, that I'm not sure that you know the gospel. I'm not sure that you understand the gospel. So uh, look at verse 18. Uh, in fact, let me, let me come out of verse 17. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing... Knowing this, I, I, I just have to stop there. Like, I want you to conduct yourselves with fear. I want you to take God seriously. Take him seriously. But you cannot take God seriously until you see the level of love that he has for you. And so he starts the next verse with knowing this. Like knowing that you were ransomed. From the futile or the empty ways inherited from your forefathers. Stop right there. Like you've got to know this. That you were ransomed. Now ransomed is another way uh, of saying that redemption has taken place. Has taken place. When we go to redeem something, it means that we're, we've redeemed a ticket or we go back to the pawn shop and we redeem the item that we gave to the pawn shop so that we get gas money like I did when I was, when I was a kid. And, and so we go back and we, we give them, you know, an exorbitant amount of money, more than what we had gotten in the first place, and we get our 357 back or something like that. Just, just, just by chance, something like that. And so we're, we're redeeming something. So what this is saying is it's saying knowing that you were ransomed, that you were redeemed. You were were paid for. You were paid for uh, from, what were you paid for from? You were paid for from the futile or the empty ways inherited from your forefathers. Now, Edmund Clowney says this. He says, every society reveres its fathers, whether they be Confucius or Marx, Jefferson, Darwin, or Freud. Every society has these these fathers. I saw a a post, uh, it must have been yesterday or the day before, that says, I think we can all realize that right now, that the essential people are not the athletes, the celebrities, the all of these things that have gotten canceled. 
but they are our healthcare workers. They're all of these people. But yet, what, what we uh, look to in our world oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes we look to these celebrity type people. We look towards athletes. We look towards uh, pe- people who are, have been successful in business. It can be someone that you respect in the community. It can be the, just the general thought, the ethos of our community and what, what we believe about our community, what we believe about the way that we should operate. So what we believe as Christians is this, is that we have been saved from, we've been ransomed from, we've been redeemed from something that is empty, something that is futile, something that is corrupt. And what Peter wants you to see is he says, I, I, don't, I, I don't want you to forget this. I want you to keep this in mind. I want you to keep it in front of you. And that is that, that your life, your life was paid for out of that ridiculousness. Now, you've got to look at your life and you've got to say, I don't know, if you've had time to pause and you've just seen, okay, I've been too busy. I haven't spent enough time with my family. I haven't been in the Word enough. I've been like, where is my life going? What am I doing? What is the meaning of life? If everything can be taken away from me like that, then what does this even mean? What does this even mean? Well, what the gospel offers is this, is that you would be paid for, that you would be ransomed from the feudal ways that your forefathers and my forefathers and our world or whatever it is have set us up to believe. They've set us up to believe that success is everything. That busyness is the way of life. It is the American way of life. Just go to almost any other culture and you will see that their life is much more relaxed. Americans have an addiction towards busyness. And God has been gracious in this, that he's allowed us to see it right here and right now, that we have been too busy. And so we get to think about the fact that we have been ransomed from the empty ways. So then he he says this, uh, empty ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb. So he wants you to know that you are paid for from empty ways of life, from the ways that you've learned from this world, from your father, or for, from somebody that you respect, and it wasn't with something that is perishable. It wasn't with silver or gold. It wasn't like the bailout or the, the stimulus package that passed recently. It wasn't with perishable things such as the American dollar. It wasn't with perishable things such as success in the economy. It wasn't with perishable things that you were ransomed or that you were paid for, but with the precious blood of Christ. He's inviting you into this. Now, listen, I know that there's many of you that are sitting there and you're just saying, it doesn't penetrate my heart. Like, it, I don't see how this even means anything to me. But I, what you have to understand is this, is that you have to contemplate it. He's inviting you and me to see the costly nature of the ransom. He's inviting you to see that it wasn't just with something that was willy-nilly, willy-nilly or, or silver or gold or something like that, something that we might value, but he gave his life. 
He gave everything. He gave it all. How can we see that, see the expense that was made for me and you? How can we see that? You and I must concentrate on it. That he gave everything for me. That like, I don't deserve this. He gave everything. This is what we do during communion. The Lord's table is that we're concentrating on the fact that he gave his blood, that he gave his body, the perfect lamb without blemish. He had no sin. And yet he took my sin upon him. Have you concentrated on that anytime recently? Some of you are dead and lifeless Christians. Some of you are affiliated with the church, but you have no real passion for God. You do not see him as your father. You do not respect him. You uh, have not taken him seriously. You do not live out the gospel. You think that you're moral, but you ha it has nothing to do with the gospel. It has everything to do with worldly morality. It has nothing to do. It is not driven by the ransom that was paid for you with the precious blood of Christ. It's not driven by that. Your desire for goodness is not, is not driven by that. And so you're dead and you're life, lifeless. You don't take God seriously. And so therefore, here you are in this place of complacent Christianity. And I'm speaking to you in the midst of your living room or on your phone or in some, some place. And I just, I just want to drill down with you. And I just want to speak with you. And I just want to say, what good is your religion if you have no passion for it? What good is the stuff that you say that you believe if you don't really believe it? Don't you see that you live out what you believe? Don't you see that, that there's so many people in your life that, just, that, that probably can tell that, that this is hypocrisy? Don't you see it? I just think that God has given us an opportunity to come up for air and just... Just think about what we've been swimming in, what we've been a part of. Will you stick with me through the next section here? Just stay, stay with me. Verse 20 says, he, he's talking about Christ, was foreknown. Foreknown means chosen. Christ was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So, Christ was foreknown. He was chosen before the foundation of the world. Before the world ever came into being, Jesus was chosen to be the one that would be sent. And he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So we're talking about revelation. That Jesus was revealed to us. Now this is incredibly important. Because what it's saying is, it's saying this, that you were paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the redemption piece. And then it says this, uh, but this has always been God's plan. That this is a part of God's sovereign purpose. That God has always planned it. It's not that the world just became sinful and then God was like, ah, oh, dang, what am I going to do about this? No, God was like, I'm, I've always planned on sending the Son. Like God wanted to reveal to you. 
himself in Jesus Christ. He wanted you to experience the Son of God, Jesus. He was made manifest. He was made visible for your sake. For your sake. Why? What's interesting about this is that oftentimes when, uh, when we come into contact with a disease like coronavirus, then we start working on a vaccine. We come into contact with a disease, and then, and as we all know, like a vaccine is like a year, 18 months out, something like that, maybe sooner with American ingenuity. But, so you have a disease, you come up with a vaccine. What God did was this. God came up with a vaccine that would cure the disease before it ever came into being. In fact, this is quite interesting. John Calvin has this great quote, which says this, For herein shines forth more fully the unspeakable goodness of God, that he anticipated our disease by the remedy of hid or hidden grace and provided a restoration to life before the first man had fallen into death. Now you want to know why or how you should take God seriously. You should take God seriously because of this, because God knows all. In his sovereignty, he knows all things. God uh, has uh, ordained, God has provided, God has chosen the Son before time even began. In eternity, God had chosen that the Son would come, and we're talking about the incarnation, that reveals to us who God is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to understand God better? You want to take him more seriously? You just need to look at who Jesus Christ is. Not just that. God is seen throughout all of the scriptures. But Jesus specifically has manifested God to us. And he shows us who he is. But God, in his incredible uh, knowledge, decided to give us a vaccine way before we had ever experienced the disease. Way before we had ever experienced that. Isn't that amazing that God has reversed this order and he has done it for your sake? For your sake, for the sake of you, it says. He has done this. How do we take God seriously? We concentrate on the redemption that he's given us and the cost of that redemption. And then secondly, we take God seriously by understanding what he's done for us. What, how he's lived out his life, how he came to us. And we live this out on a regular basis as Christians. Let's keep moving on here. Verse 21. For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Do you see what this is saying? This is talking about the resurrection. It is that God gives us this, God pays for us. He reveals himself to us for our sake. And it is through him, it is through Jesus Christ that you and I have the possibility of having a relationship with God. Look at everything that he's done for us. He has given us a new hope. We talked last week about this, about how we don't have to be dry bones on the valley floor. 
We don't have to be people who are living without hope. Do you know why we feel hopeless as death is impending? And to some degree, some of us feel that way. Do you know why we feel hopeless when business is stopped? Do you know why everything feels hopeless? It's because our only hope is in this world. It's in the things that are around us. It's in, it's in our life. It's in all of these things. And what he's saying is he's saying, don't you see why you should take God seriously? Don't you see why you should want to live out the gospel because of what he's given to you and to me. Because through him, we are believers in God who raised him from the dead. And the implication is this. If he's been raised from the dead, then we also have that possibility. We also have the possibility of resurrection. In fact, the certainty that we will be resurrected in the final day. But even here and now, right here and right now, we don't have to live in death. Living in death, continuing to live in death, is living in the futile ways passed down to us from our forefathers. It's saying, my only hope is in this business. My only hope is in this, res- or in this relationship. My only hope is in whatever it is. It's saying, that is living in death because there is no eternal hope in those things. If your ultimate and final hope is in that, you will go up and down with the markets. You will go up and down with your relationships. You will go up and down with your net worth. You will go up and down with your health. You'll go up and down. You will have no ballast in your life. You'll feel good when everybody else feels good. But the reason why you should take God seriously is because he gave you a new hope that does not go up and down. It is a sure hope. He, he raises him from the dead and gives him glory. Again, the, the implication is if he's been raised from the dead, then we will be raised from the dead. If he's given him glory, he gives us glory. We find our glory in and through God, not in through our accomplishments, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Our faith and our hope are in God. I mean, we could just do a sermon on that. So that your faith and your hope are not in all of those things. You guys, don't you see that the, the, whole, the whole problem with our country, with our world, is rooted in the reality that my faith and my hope are not in God. My faith and my hope are in, oftentimes, whether this crisis will come to an end soon. My faith and my hope, I mean, you, can just, you know where I'm going with this. Our faith and our hope is not in God. So you haven't been able to work for a while. And I'm deeply sorry about that, and I want to help you. I pray for you. If there's a way that we can provide for you, we will do it. But this is a really good opportunity for you to think about where is my faith and where is my hope. You haven't been able to sleep because everything is weird. Because everything is, has changed. Maybe you're living it with fear, anxiety, depression, whatever. It's, it, that is natural. I, I mean, let's be honest. You're not weird. But the answer to that 
is the hope of Jesus Christ in his resurrection and the glory that he provides. I'm, I'm, I'm saying in the midst of crisis, take God seriously. We've just gone through an amazing uh, economic boom on some level. I don't know what the history books will say about it, but there's an amazing economic boom that's happened. And many people have jobs. And this country is, is more wealthy than we've perhaps ever been. And so there hasn't been much need for God. And so now here we are in the midst of crisis, and who knows how long it's going to last. But this is an opportunity to say, to redirect your heart and say, my faith and my hope have not been in God. For, for those of you that do, do not have relationship with God, like you're, you're watching here, maybe you've been associated with Christianity, or maybe you've always rejected Christianity. The offer is faith and hope in something that is sure and that lasts forever. I have to move on. Verse 22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So what we've just gone through are these three things. We're talking about redemption, what God paid, we're talking about revelation, what God showed us in Jesus Christ. And the third thing is the resurrection that gives us this great hope. So then what he says is this, is he says, okay, now that you see all that, now that you know all that, here's how you can live a better life. Here's how you can live a holy life. You might say, I don't like any of that. Then I'm not sure that you like God because God is calling you to live a holy life. And here's the thing, you take God seriously, when you take God seriously, holiness begins to increase in your life, and holiness is ultimately seen in our love for others. You want to love people better? You want to have a better marriage? You've got to grow in holiness. You want to have, a, I mean, there's some things that I could tell you, even a non-Christian, that would help your marriage. There's some obvious things that I, that, that I could tell you that, that, that might be helpful. But do you want a a a marriage that has some ballast? Do you want a marriage that can last till the end? You've got to live out this holiness. It says, that, in fact, Edmund Clowney says this, now again, as he urges Christians to love one another, he shows that we are to, what we are to do is grounded in what God has done. What we are to do is grounded in what God has done. God has provided for us resurrection. He's manifested himself to us in his revelation. And he's also resurrected us. And he's provided this for us. And he's saying, okay, now that you know all that, and now that you see that you've purified your souls by obeying the gospel, we don't purify ourselves. When we believe the gospel, when we believe the truth that Jesus went to the cross for us, when we believe that every person in this world will die damned if they do not put their hope in God, if they do not trust in Jesus Christ, when you understand that and you say, I must trust him because he went to the cross for me, when I see that and I understand it, that is the idea of obeying the truth. He's saying, 
that this should provide for you a sincere brotherly love. Some of us say, I, I don't, I'm just not a loving person, or I don't really like to, to love people. I'm kind of a gruff dude. I'm a little bit like that. But it's saying this, that the gospel should change you. When you've been loved, when you were unlovable, and even while you're still unlovable, Jesus never lets you go, don't you think that you should be loving other people? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Like you're no longer perishable. Your life has been born again through the Holy Spirit. He has come into your life and he's caused you to be imperishable through the resurrection. You should have an imperishable love through the living and abiding word of God. Do you see what happened right there? It's, it's, this, it's a gospel sandwich. It's a gospel sandwich. He, he, he says, your obedience to the truth, that, that, that you're, you're talking about the gospel. And then he says, and then you should love one another from a, from a pure heart. And then he goes back into, since you've been born again. It's a gospel sandwich. It's saying this. It's saying, because of the gospel, love people because of the gospel. Because God has loved you when you are unlovable, you should love other people when they are unlovable. And therefore, God has loved you even though you are unlovable. Don't you see what that says? Don't you see it? It's amazing. It is how we take God seriously. We take him at his grace. We take him at his word. We take him at at the fact that he has been so gracious to us. It is amazing. And then he gives this, verse 24, For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. I want you to see something with me. All flesh is like grass. Imagine your life. It's like a blade of grass. It's like a... a, you know, a, 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 a blade or maybe a clump, whatever. So it, it, it is like grass. Not Oregon grass, not that kind of grass. Get that out of your mind, dude. All flesh. I'm, to, I'm totally screwing this up. And I can't even hear you laugh. I don't know if you're laughing. This is awkward. I'm not sure. But all flesh is like grass. And then he says, and all its glory like the flower of grass. All of our lives are like a blade of grass. And our achievements, our glory, the things that we live for, are ultimately like a flower that's on this grass. Oh, it's so pretty. It's so amazing. Look at the beautiful flower. It's so amazing. And then what happens? The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord is constant. It's imperishable. God's word is forever. Peter's talking to people that are in the midst of suffering. He's in the, they're in the midst of suffering, and he's saying, they're like, yeah, I know that your life is like here today and gone tomorrow. Maybe you realize that when you see all the pain, suffering, death, everything that's going on around us, and you say, life is temporary. It is not forever. 
My accomplishments, they may have withered away like a flower in the grass. It, there's nothing constant about it. But I have the answer for you that says that, yeah, your thing isn't still going. Yeah, you may have been pushed back financially quite a ways. And I'm deeply sorry uh, for you. I'm deeply troubled for you. I want to help you. But you have to see this. It is temporary. It is impermanent. It will not last forever. It's just a flower on grass. The word of the Lord is what remains forever. And what does that mean? It means this. It means that the word of the Lord is the good news that was preached to you. The good news is this, that you've been redeemed, that God has revealed himself to you, and that you have the possibility of resurrection. The certainty, again, I should say, if you're a believer in him. That gives you hope. That's constant. That's forever. Last little section here, chapter 2, verse 1. So, put away all malice. Let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about the idea that, that you and I don't take God seriously. Let's just take a moment and let's just, let's just be real honest here. And that is that Christians don't act like people that have received amazing grace. We can sing amazing grace, but we don't live like we've received amazing grace. And so we have malice. Malice is an ongoing hatred. It's a hatred for other people. It may be a hatred for the other political party. We talk about how, uh, how awful our society has been because it's been so torn up by all of the things that have been going on through the political discord and all of that. And this says here, because of the gospel, because of everything that God has done for you, you must put away all of this hatred. You must put away all of this deceit. Put away all hypocrisy. Put away all envy. Put away all slander. Stop talking trash about people. Stop living in jealousy. Do you, do, do you feel this? Because I feel this. I have a desire for less things today. My wife and I were talking about this just recently. Like We, we just realized we don't need all the things that we have bought. Why did we buy them? We were talking with some friends the other night, and that, that came up. We don't need all the things that we got. We don't have to keep going to the store. But there's this sense in which everybody else has it, so i got to have it. There's this envy. There's this jealousy. There's this constant need for comfort. And what Peter says is he says all of that is dependent on understanding what God has done for you. Do you want to take God seriously? Do you want to stop trash-talking people? Do you want to stop lying? Do you want to stop living like a hypocrite? Do you want to stop living in hatred towards people? You should if you call yourself a Christian. Then you got to believe the gospel. you got to believe what Jesus has done for you. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. I want you to long for what God has for you, that by it you may grow up into salvation. 
that you would that you would long for what God has for you this spiritual nourishment that comes from the word as one commentator said we must be addicted to the bible like there should be an addiction to what the bible has to say many of us say i kind of know i already know what it kind of says I've read it before. I grew up in the church or whatever. I read it once. I've read that verse one time. That kind of thing. This is saying that the word of the Lord, the word of God, remains forever. This is our nourishment. I don't get my nourishment from anything else. I get my nourishment from the word of the Lord. I am addicted to the Bible. When I'm taking God seriously, I'm addicted to what the word gives me. I view it as a meal. In fact, one commentator was talking about, I think it might have been the same one who was saying, that an infant screams when he or she is, is hungry. And that our desire should be so strong for the word that we scream, that we cry, that we wail, because we haven't had the word, because we don't have it in us. Are you taking God seriously? Verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I, I love those words. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. I'm speaking to the church here right now. Are you a complacent Christian? Who doesn't live out the gospel or take God seriously? You have time to think about this right now. And I, I just want to ask you, have you ever even tasted that the Lord is good? Have you ever even tasted that he is good? Is there a sense in your life that you just say, God is so good to me. He's so good to me. I just want to invite you into this. I want to invite you into intimacy with God. God is inviting you. You have an opportunity right now to begin an intimacy with God that you would be able to taste and see that he is good, that you'd cry out and that you would wail and say, I need the pure spiritual milk that's going to allow me to live out the things that God has done for me through his redemption, through his revelation. And through his resurrection. I just invite you to that. Can we participate in communion together? So just grab some, grab some juice, grab some bread, grab a, a cracker, a, a chip, something, something like that. And what a great place to, to end our, our sermon here this morning. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. I want to invite the band forward. Jesus wants us to taste what he's done for us. He invited his disciples and us to participate in this as we come together. And we believe that we are together even through the internet right now. We're together in heart. We're all watching this together. But I want to invite you to just think about the gospel here for a moment. 
Would you just take a moment just to yourself, and I, I just, I'm going to close my eyes, and I, I invite you to do that as well, to just close your eyes, and I just want you to think for a moment and just say, and, and j- just think, like, where have I been complacent and not taking God seriously? Where am I living in hatred of other people or in hypocrisy? How have I not lived out the gospel? I, j- I just want you to think about that, and I want you to think about something. That you and I, all, those sins that we, can, that we can recall right now, are worthy of hell. We are worthy of ultimate and final separation from God for eternity. Those things, we, for those things, we deserve death. Now, the second thing that I want you to think about is I want you to think about the fact that Jesus went to the cross for that sin. So get those, get those things in your mind here for a moment. Get those things and then think about this, that Jesus went to the cross for that sin. I want you to think about that sin. Whatever it is that you've done, the ways that you've sinned against your spouse, the 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 ways that you have not taken God seriously. Like you see yourself as being somebody who's just been a complacent Christian. You're a Christian in name only. But you and I both know that there's just stuff in your life that is just, it's, it has nothing to do with the gospel. And that's just where you're at. And you and I both know that you've been living a lie on some level. And I want you to see this. Jesus wants you to see it right now. That he took that to the cross. He took it to the cross and he bled out and he died for that sin so that you could know that you are forgiven. He's forgiven you for that sin. Yeah, the worst sin that you think that God could never forgive you for, he forgave you for that. And he says, I want you to think about it as you partake of my my body which the bread or the cracker or whatever represents. So let's, let's taste that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. He went to the cross for us. His body was broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. And then let's, let's remember that he shed his blood for us. Let's partake of the cup. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the the cross for us. Thank you that you bled out and died. It's in your name we pray. Amen.